Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Well, this is the Mike Abadir Show. I am Gino Bocola. I'm going to introduce you to the man, Mike Abadir. But first, I want to let you all know that this might be, I think, one of the best weeks for fans out there, Mike, because we are just starting college football, and we are just a good. By the time we talk next week, NFL football is already is also going to be getting underway for their first game. Everybody's got hope right now. Every everybody's fan base feels like they got a shot. Every and football is is really king still when it comes to ratings in this country. When it comes to what people watch and what they talk about, and so now uh, we're gonna have some baseball and some guests to talk baseball early on in the show. But I know we'll talk football later. And and now I know a lot of the next uh, months of the Mike Abadir show, we're gonna be focusing in a lot on uh, the NFL and some college. Yeah, a lot of football talk, you know, and uh, we'll we'll have some. Cool segments like we've done before uh, with the Parlay Queen, um, you know, fantasy football talk, of course, selections. Uh, both Gino and myself had a, a pretty good 2018 campaign, so we'll we'll try to build on that, right, G? And um, it, it seems like there's always this year-round conversation about basketball, whether it's drama, whether it's who's going to be playing where next year. There's always something with basketball that recirculates during the offseason. You know where I'm going with this, my man, because this is squarely in your corner. Uh, Lakers talk, Shaq v. Kobe. Let me first ask you, man, is this, do you think this is a staged kind of, are they acting? And, no, I mean, it's, it's really, not, it's funny. It's literally nothing new. Zero. There's zero new about this. But, this but the literally, funny thing is Shaq made it seem like, I mean, in his, with his response, it made it seem like, no, I don't know what you're talking about yeah, with this, and, like, lazy stuff. I'm not which, lazy. That's how I've been able to win and be able to do And I don't know, things. you know, he didn't, like, I, I, Kobe came, like, always. He is very, very smart, very eloquent. But the, the, the gripe with Kobe has always been he's not the best people person. You know, so even in situations like this, he maybe he says things a little bit the wrong way. Like he can drive you, and then the Kobe's work ethic is always what he's been, you know, talked about. One of the greatest of all time. So, let me. What's funny is they're both right with what they with what they said. Like Kobe was like, if first they wouldn't have won twelve titles, but if Shaq came in some years and he wasn't weighing three thirty. You know, and if he worked a little bit more on his free throws, and maybe if he cared a little bit more about getting in shape, maybe they do win two or three more titles. Yeah, and you wasn't know, doing you know, uh, uh, you know, movies and commercials and well, rap then, albums, and because, I, I don't know, I know that all of that was during the Laker time uh, tenure, but I mean, I think that's also as, part of it too, right? Yeah, because then as soon as Shaq left the Lakers, he went and he lost the weight and he got in great shape to play with Wade, and they won. You know, so he did he did with Wade what he kind of wouldn't do with Kobe and kind of like take a little bit of a backseat and help anoint Wade. And well, he didn't really have that drive, right? Which and is, I think it I was a lot of Kobe. I can yeah, win without I, Kobe. I think it was a lot of like that was like um 
Shaq felt ownership of Wade when he went over there and was like, look, this is my guy now. I'm going to prop this guy up and I'm going to help make him. And, and he did. He, he did. Uh, and, and Dwayne, you know, had to, Wade had to take the step. And then what's funny is like Shaq's right about that Piston series with Kobe. That 2004 series, Kobe shot 38% from the field. He scored 22 points a game and he had like 1.8 rebounds and four assists. He shot 17% from three. And he had 18 turnovers in the five games. And Shaq was pissed because Shaq shot 63% from the field. And he had 26 and 10. And he just wasn't getting the ball. Kobe just was not giving him the ball at all. And and the Pistons crushed the Lakers 4-1. Remember, that was the Lakers team that had Malone and Stockton, too. And they were supposed to be awesome and unbeatable. And both of those guys were kind of hurt and banged up. You weren't getting a whole lot Mal- out of uh, Malone. Malone and Gary Payton. Peyton, did I say Stockton? Yeah, yeah Stockton, yeah, Peyton, yeah. Peyton, and, and you know, yeah, let's sorry. let's actually table Peyton. this conversation because I actually really like that Piston team's uh, team with uh, Ben Wallace after they got him in the trade. Let's table this this combo because I think it's kind of an interesting one and shift the focus to baseball because we've got our first guest on the line and waiting with us. Of course, any of our listeners know that we always bring on the tremendous. Uh, writers and those who cover the specific teams in local markets through The Athletic as well as their national writers. And we've got a repeat guest, Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic San Francisco, covers A's, covers Giants. And Melissa, when we had you on last time, it was during that time period when the A's were in Japan for the opening series against the Mariners. And uh, obviously the Mariners had great start to their season. And I got to give you credit because you pretty much pegged exactly the type of season that Oakland ha- would have. They're exactly in the spot that you said that they would be in, uh, looking for that second wild card. You said they are going to be a 90-win team. And, um, you know, they're playing some p- pretty good baseball right now. Melissa, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Hi, Melissa. I'm doing pretty well, thank you. I mean, they've taken care of business, right? They just took three out of four against the Royals a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, three out of four against the Astros. They, they swept the Yankees. Had a little hiccup with the Giants, but how do you think they feel now going into September? You know, I think they feel good. They've obviously got um, a lot going on positively um, with their offense. Uh, I think the lineup has performed, you know, for the most part as well as they could have hoped, and a lot of the guys they've had to plug in because of injuries have done well. Uh, Starting rotation has really held up, I think, better than anybody would have expected, and and it really is sort of an underrated strength of the team despite, you know, nobody being a a huge name in that that five, and I think they're going to get a nice boost from Shamanaya pretty soon, and uh, maybe Jesus Lizardo joins and gives them a a six-starter or a long reliever or something in September. Um, So, you know, those have been real positives, I think, you know, the surprising negative has been the bullpen. And uh, overall numbers, you know, you look at how they sort of stack up against the other AL teams, and they actually surprisingly are still among the, the league leaders in terms of, you know, high leverage success and all that sort of stuff. Yet you watch it day to day, and it's just not the same feeling that you had at all in terms of protecting leads. And you saw that, um, you know, in the Giants series. You saw that even in the Royals series. And um, so, you know, I think they're – is a lot that they like about what's happened. And I think if the bullpen can write itself, they are in line for a very strong September, but there are some concerns about the, the bullpen for sure. Now we're looking at a team, as you mentioned, the starting pitching is, is always been something that I, I am amazed by when I look at this Oakland team, how have they been able to put it together? And for most people out there, like who who is the the five or six that are going out there right now, getting the majority of innings, and how how would this team set up if they were to get into a playoff series? What's kind of the uh, 
the the ranking right now as far as the starting pitchers are concerned? Well, I think, you know, far and away, Mike Fires has been the most consistent starter and um, underrated, been one of the better starters, I think, in, in the American League, and just in terms of uh, getting his team deep into games and, and, and putting them in a position to win. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but he doesn't walk a lot of guys, gets a lot of soft contact, and the A's have a good defense. So that's the sort of thing that it may not be fashionable around the game right now, but it works really well for the team as it's constructed. So he's been that solid anchor. You know, obviously, Frankie Montas at the beginning of the year was really the staff ace, and they've been without him because of the suspension. They won't be able to use him in, in a playoff spot. So Fires would be the guy that you'd probably look to uh, to make that start. I think given the state of the bullpen, unless something significantly changes in September, I'd be a little surprised to see that opener scenario develop itself again for a one-game wild card. Uh, so Fires is probably that guy. Um, Chris Bassett did not have a great start today against the Royals, but he's been very, very good since he came uh, back from a little bit of a, a knee uh, contusion that he suffered in Japan. Uh, Brett Anderson also has had a little bit of a blister issue lately, but um, he's been very good. Um, same sort of thing like with Mike Fires, where he doesn't really strike out a whole lot of guys, but he just kind of consistently gives them uh, you know, a good position to, to win, and I think he's a guy that they will continue to lean on, assuming that the blister is not a long-term thing. Um, then they brought in two new guys, and Tanner Rourke and, and Homer Bailey. And, uh, you know, Rourke uh, is, is a guy that had a lot of success over in the National League um, this year and, and was somebody that I, had pitched very well for them coming over. Again, yesterday did not pitch all that well. But, uh, you know, he's another one who um, he does strike out a lot more guys, but he's uh, someone who give them good innings. He's pretty consistent. Um, and I think they'll look to him to, to continue um, to, to, to do that. Homer Bailey's been a little more up and down. He's really been quite good in, in the Coliseum. He's been not so good on the road. Um, and I think they'll have to kind of keep a monitor on that. Uh, but when he's been at the Coliseum, he's been very effective as well. So, you know, it's sort of a weird kind of cobbled together group of five, but they've, they've managed to make it work. And again, you know, they've got Sean Mania. Looks like he's going to come off the DL soon. Um, Jared, uh, Jesus Rosardo is probably somebody that they would consider bringing up in September. So there's some additional players that could come in and make a difference for them down the stretch. It's funny when you're looking at the schedule and you're trying to predict how these games are going to unfold and you look at the last few weeks and you see, okay, we have uh, four games coming up with, with Houston and then three coming up with the Yankees on paper. You're thinking those games are probably a, l- a lot of L's. And then unfortunately you, 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 you do really well against those two teams and you struggle in a couple games against San Francisco, but you're going to have to deal with those two teams again. And really the rest of the schedule on paper looks really good. You have three with the Yankees coming up this weekend and then four at Houston. Then you have a couple series with Texas, a couple series with the Angels, another one with the the Royals. You get Seattle, you get Detroit, lots of teams that are out of it and not really playing for anything. So, I mean, on paper, you have to be pretty confident with the way the schedule looks for the A's down the home stretch. Yeah, you know, and and, and they've really stepped up in – in terms of not having the trap game sort of get them, I think like today's game was a really great example of you could you could look ahead to New York. You, they were not playing with Matt Chapman. There were a lot of reasons where that one could have sort of slipped away from them, and they would have gone from 
you know, winning a, a series in, in Kansas City that they absolutely needed to win to, to ending up with a series split. And so that, that kind of focus, I think Bob Melvin's always been really great at kind of keeping teams focused on what's right in front of them as opposed to what's down the road, I think should allow them to play well against the teams they should beat. And, and you're right. I mean, you can make up a lot of ground that way. Um, but I think it's also a good litmus test when you do get to face the, the, the good teams. It really sharpens sort of uh, a, a group's focus. It gives them confidence that they, when they do head into the playoffs that they can handle those times kind of teams. So that, that seven-game stretch they had at, at home against the Yankees and the Astros, I, I know, increased their uh, confidence quite a bit. And it'll be a tough you know, one to repeat on the road, but I think that's um, something that's important for them as they're sort of getting down to, uh, to a postseason. But yeah, I think the schedule uh, kind of lines up pretty well for them to have good success next month. You'd mentioned that, you know, the bullpen's obviously been a little bit of a concern. You know, it's funny because I have in my notes here that I was uh, working on uh, last night and this morning that the Aussie Hendricks has uh, really come on in August. Uh, He had not given up a run the entire month, seven saves, only three base hits, hasn't walked a player. And, of course, I jinxed that because today he gave up a run. But it seems like uh, he's kind of, uh, you know, really uh, getting his game together here. Do you think he's he might be one of those guys that might be called upon to perhaps, you know, go for a two-inning save come postseason if, uh, you know, the rest of uh, his colleagues kind of can't really exhibit getting outs on a regular basis and that type of thing between now and then? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and actually it's funny, so today's game, he did give up that run, but he came on with runners on base in the eighth inning, uh, you know, got through a difficult situation where the game could have gotten away from them there and then came back and when there was a you know a chance for the tying run to score, he, he got them uh, through that as well. So I think you look at that outing as being a positive uh, despite the run allowed. And, and his swing and miss stuff really allows him to get out of some jams that, um, you know, other pitchers on the staff maybe who don't have that kind of swing and miss stuff uh, can't quite do. His command has been better than some of the guys that have struggled in the bullpen. But uh, he's really, his, his, his mental focus, he sort of has talked about how when he overthinks, when he's kind of uh, soaking in what the situation is, he doesn't pitch all that well, but when he sort of clears his mind and just goes out there and attacks, he does a lot better. And uh, I think you've seen that mindset from him this year in that closer role. And uh, yeah, absolutely, I think he'd be a guy that could go two innings, uh, maybe even yeah. three if you're looking at a, a wild card sort of uh, situation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he got five outs today, all of them by strikeout. He's got over 100 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, this season as a reliever. So definitely can see that being the case. I think Gina was kind of alluding to this a little bit as well in terms of how does the rotation set up come postseason. That's assuming that they get to a series in a one-game playoff, though. It sounds to me like you're pretty convinced that it might be Friars because I was kind of thinking that uh, other than the Friars, the, uh, 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 the call might be Bassett. Yeah, you know, I think I think everybody, it'll be all hands on deck. The, the good thing about Bassett is that he's, come out of the bullpen before in, in the past. I mean, he's, he's been a reliever. He's been a starter. Uh, so you could start with Mark, Mike Fires and see where you go. And then if you wanted to have someone who come in and say, you know, after four innings, so you don't have uh, a lineup facing a pitcher more than two times, you could go to Bassett for three innings and then you could go to your bullpen. So I think they do have some options that they can play with. Uh, I think there's some flexibility and there are some guys that haven't pitched for him yet this year that I think will, factor in in September that could end up changing that whole equation for that game, depending on how they do. No, one more for you uh, on uh, on this side of the bay in Oakland, and then a couple sure. regarding the Giants. Would 
if when we talked back in March, if I would have told you that the there would be five guys on the team that have more home runs than Chris Davis, would you believe me? Yeah, no, I, I think nobody saw his struggles coming, and I think nobody saw his struggles coming and the lineup still able to perform the way that it has despite that. You know, I think that's been an incredible thing to see because uh, obviously when you looked last year, if you were able to take down Chris Davis, you were able to kind of deconstruct a decent amount of the lineup. And the fact that they've been able to absorb uh, his struggles and um, still succeed is, is pretty impressive. And, and it does sort of open the uh, possibilities for if he does put it together in September leading into the postseason, what that lineup could really look like. But uh, yeah, definitely didn't see that coming at all. And uh, on the other side of the bay in San Francisco, I, I think the main thing that I have in my mind is, you know, they didn't, trade any of the key players that were discussed during the trade deadline. At that point, they were still hot and um, hoping to be in prime position to be able to snag that last wild card spot. Things haven't quite worked out in the way that they'd hoped. Do you think a, lar- a large part of that decision-making had to do with the fact that uh, Bocha is on his way out? And and do you think that there's any regret or, you know, hey, we didn't get anybody and we didn't trade anybody, so we're okay? You know, they they did pretty well for the guys they did trade. I think they, they added a, a good amount of talent for, you know, those relievers that they dealt. And they did that knowing that dealing those guys was going to diminish their possibility of making a wild card. I mean, you know, they went from having an absolute shutdown bullpen to one that had some holes, and they created those because they made those trades. But they did add talent that will help them into the next few years. But in not trading, you know, Baumgartner and not trading Will Smith, um, they, they did create the atmosphere of a competitive team still, which I think, you know, in, in one respect is something that you would do because um, you should give Bruce, Bruce Bochy the chance to, to coach that kind of team in his final season. But I think also because you just never really know how things are going to break down and uh, they still could have, or even now, I mean, it's not that uh, out of the realm of possibility. There's still plenty of time left that they could make a, a sort of a charge. But I also think, honestly, they probably just didn't get the offers that made sense to move those guys. I mean, when you're talking about the guys they received for the guys they traded, those were great trades, and they were obviously great trades. If they weren't getting what would be considered obviously great trades for those other two guys uh, or even you know um, anyone else that they didn't deal, it really wouldn't have made any sense to move them because they aren't in a position where they needed to save salary. And so if you're not getting who you want to kind of take away guys, especially in Baumgartner's case that are so important to the franchise, it really don't make a whole, a whole lot of sense at that, at that point. Yeah, and I think I kind of misworded that question a little bit and, and making it seem like Will Smith and, and Bob Gardner are the only guys that count. But one of the trades that you were talking about, uh, they got back Dubon. And pretty clear to me that that era starts right away since uh, the Scooter Jeanette project didn't work out. Yeah, you know, he's he's a great-looking player. He He's a guy that gives him a lot of different looks and possibilities. You know, he, I think he'll get his opportunity at second base. and. And if he can become the starting second baseman for them, I think they'd be very happy with that outcome. But he also can play a few other places as well. So he, he's somebody that they're going to give a nice long look to in September, and it'll give them an opportunity to sort of see what holes they need to fill going into next season. Um, but he, he is a you know a talent that I don't think you would have been able to expect 
to get for who they traded away for him um, at, at the time. And so that's the kind of deal you're, you know, you're looking at. It's sort of a no-brainer. Even if it does weaken your chances of making a wild card, you're, you're getting a talent back that could really start for you for several years down the road. So I think that's, um, that was a, good, you know, a very good deal for them to make. And I, I think he is a nice, exciting young player that, um, because of his versatility, gives them you know, plenty of flexibility going into next year. Last question, just so that we know here and for the national audience to know, is it Dubon or is it Dubone, by the way? You know, I'm terrible with <laughs> pronunciations. I've heard it both ways. So um, I'll have to hear him say it in person before I know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. Well, we appreciate you having uh, the time to uh, share with us. As always, uh, let our listeners know where they could kind of find you on social media and whatnot. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Melissa Lockard, um, and it's uh, L-O-C-K-A-R-D. There's no H in there. Everybody seems to want to add one, so uh, that's the best <laughs> place to find me on social media. Awesome, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. That's Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic San Francisco. We're going to take our first commercial, shift the focus to the American League, and talk a little Red Sox baseball. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. And we're going to talk a little uh, Boston Red Sox we were discussing during the break. Tony, over the last few years, some of the Dodgers and Red Sox seasons have sort of mirrored each other in uh, 
the Dodgers having this great season this year. But even last year, the Dodgers were at like at this moment almost in the same spot that the Red Sox are in. Just had had a really bad year the year after being in the World Series. They were trying to find a way to get into the playoffs. Remember, the Dodgers didn't even get in until the final day, and they had to have that extra game to find out whether they were going to be the wild card or win the division. They were double two of those games last year. In Boston right now, do they have an opportunity, Mike? Do they have one last run in them? You want to introduce our, uh, our next guest? Yeah, and uh, Matthew Corey is our next guest, and we were texting about it a little bit earlier. You know, they got five games to make up, but any of our uh, regular listeners know Matthew Corey. We've had him on before talking to the Red Sox, especially uh, last season when uh, they were on their uh, historic run and charge to the World Series. Matthew Corey uh, hosts a current podcast, Sox Coast to Coast, for all the Red Sox junkies that are out there, and uh, was previously with The Athletic and has had many stops in his covering baseball career. Matthew, how's it going this afternoon? Doing good, Mike. Uh, how are you all today? Good, Doing thanks. pretty well, man. And I think the, the point that Gina was getting to is, you know, last year the Dodgers were able to kind of keep their heads together all the way until game 163 to make it happen. It's probably going to take something like that from the Red Sox again. Unfortunately for them, the teams that are right ahead of them are pretty darn good, man. What what do you think are the honest expectations in the clubhouse regarding the remainder of this season? Do you think they uh, are kind of looking at it like we're the champs, we're going to seize the moment, we're going to go on a crazy run, take you know a 20 out of 30 type run, uh, where do you think their heads out from what you're hearing and seeing? Uh, I mean, I, I think they definitely think they can compete. I, I think I, I don't know that they're looking at it from that kind of long-term perspective. Um, I think it's probably more of a, a day-to-day sort of thing. You know, it's a it's a team. Uh, it's a young team, but it's a team of veterans. Uh, you know, a team with a lot of playoff experience. Um, and I, I would expect them to. I mean, all year long they, they've they've been talking about how. Uh, you know, they just gotta gotta hold it together. They've got a run in them, and they'll, you know, they'll be uh, they'll be there in the end, and, and just just take it a step at the to- a step at a time. There's there's a lot of cliches thrown around, uh, but but I do think that, that there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, there's a reason that it's you know it's a cliche. It's it's a lot of times cliches have a lot of truth in them, and uh, I, I expect that that's that's where they are mentally, as far as whether or not they actually have that run in them. I don't know. You, you, we were talking about it, uh, you know, a little before we went on the air. It's it's a step forward and a step back, and as long as we keep taking those steps back, it, it's you know, it, we, even with each step back, it's uh, you know, the season gets shorter and it gets harder and harder to do it. So um, it's it's going to be tough. The, the numbers don't look good now. No, they don't, and it's unfortunate because offensively, I mean, they can mash with anybody. You know, when you look at the leaders, you know, they, they're, uh, they've got, hitting-wise at least, as a team and, and with individual players, they're hitting at a historic clip. I mean, they're, they're, let's talk about Devers, first of all, and the progression that you've let's, seen please, with yes. him. Because <laughs> he deserves so much accolade. Um, you know, I think he should get some MVP votes Trout obviously is going to probably be, uh, you know, kind of a, I don't know about unanimous, but he was probably going to be a landslide winner. But I think if, if Devers continues doing what he's doing, he's going to give a few to uh, take, uh, you know, pause for cause, so to speak, 
or is it cause for pause? Whichever the case, you know what I mean. There, you know, Devers mm-hmm. is putting together a monster season. He really is, and and at such a, a young age too. I mean, he he just turned uh, twenty two. Well, I guess he'll he'll turn twenty three in October. So, um, I mean, still, that's that's insanely young. Most guys at that age are, you know, double A, uh, and he's this is what three game three hundred and nine. I guess he's played um, in his in his Red Sox career so far, and the the thing that that stands out to me. I mean, the power is, is crazy and, and to all fields too, you know, he hits it like we saw last night, him just sort of lean out over the plate and, and flick his wrists and hit a ball the other way over the wall. Um, okay. It was Colorado and they're playing with the Titleist this year. So sure. But everybody's playing with the same ball. That, that was a pretty impressive display of power. Um, but the thing that stands out to me is his strikeouts have gone way down. Um, he was striking out about a quarter of the time last year. Um, he's down to about 16% now. Um, that's still a, you know, a, a decent number of strikeouts, but it's, it's a huge drop. I mean, it shows that he's really uh, controlling the strikes on a lot better. Um, he's making harder contact on balls he's hitting. It's been, uh, it's been impressive, uh, to say the least. And um, a guy this young, I mean, you, you always hope that maybe there's a little more in the tank, you know, as he gets older and a little smarter um, about, about, uh, you know, hitting it's uh, it's, it's tantalizing to, to imagine what could, what could come of, of his, uh, his career in, in, in the near future. Uh, as far as MVP, I haven't really looked at it, uh, but, I find it hard to believe that you could vote for anyone, but Mike Trout maybe down the down the list. Um, but I think I think Trout, if I had a vote, which I don't, um, I, Mike Trout would get it. Yeah, and before Gino jumps in here, I mean, I think in this day and age of analytics and war and everything, you see the 8.1 war for Mike Trout, and you think, okay, no-brainer, especially because oh, yeah. Devers, Devers is 5.0. But then there there are some other things to look at as well, which is Devers has 174 hits. He's going to get to 200. Mike Trout's right now at 131, right? Devers right. has 40, 48 doubles. Trout, 27. You know, he's got more triples. Yeah. Uh, more RBI, right? Uh, the steals are pretty comparable. It's, it's a lot closer than people might think. And, and, they're, and, and they're neither on a great team or, or not necessarily true. great, but like winning team. And that's yeah. generally sometimes what will kind of push one over if, if, if one is kind of carrying a team. And, and that's kind of where, where I'm headed with the next question. So let's say the the Red Sox don't make a playoff push here and they don't get into the postseason. When you're looking back at the end of the year and you're just kind of taking a snapshot of the season, why didn't they get in? Where did things go wrong? What are the first or the, the major factors in what made this season not good enough to be one of the best five or six teams uh, to get to sneak into the playoffs? Uh, starting pitching. That's, that's a, I think, been a huge problem all year long. Um, you know, they had one sort of mid-year run with the starters where it looked like things were, you know, going back to last year type of form, and, and that didn't last for too long. Um, you know, sales hurt, prices hurt again, although apparently he's coming back this weekend. We'll see. Um, you know, Porcello's had a healthy season but a terrible one. Uh, he looked better over the last couple starts against – bad team. So we'll see if that, that continues, but, but ultimately that's, that's the reason if things, um, you know, go the way that, that 
you know, you're, you're supposing. Um, you know, this, this is a team that in many ways is built on a strong starting rotation and that rotation, you know, for being frank about it, failed them this year. That doesn't mean it'll fail them again next year. They've got a lot of talent, um, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Sale, David Price, uh, they should all be back next year, barring something crazy. Um, and so that's, that's a good, um, good core of a rotation to, you know, to put forward. Um, I would still expect them to be a playoff team next year, you know, with, with that and, you know, Eovaldi somewhere in that four or five and then maybe, you know, find somebody else somewhere but, uh, to replace Porcello. But I think if, if things don't go, they don't make, a, make the playoffs this year or even, you know, the reason that they're not competing for the division, that's, that's ultimately the reason why. Well, I think to kind of piggyback on Gino's question in terms of what went wrong, the, the starting rotation obviously is an easy one to kind of point out just because yeah. you know, Sale really hasn't been Sale for much of the year. You know, they didn't go in with an established closer into the season and that type of stuff. But there are other things that, um, you know, we've kind of observed during the course of the season. And Gino was one of the first to point this out, you know, probably a month into the season, which is they weren't getting those clutch hits that they were getting last year. You know, um, it's just, it's kind of like in the high leverage situations, whether they needed to get that key pitch, that key strikeout, that key double play from the pitching side, or, you know, that key hit to bring in runners that are on second and third with the game on the line. It just doesn't seem, the ball hasn't seemed to go their way this year. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's exactly true. Um, and, you know, I, I think the numbers bear that out. You know, the, the one sort of obvious uh, and, and odd exception this year is uh, pinch hitting. The Red Sox have been bizarrely savantish with pinch hitters. Uh, I, I forget if they're still batting like 350 or whatever, but, the, but for pinch hitters, they, I think they're leading the league or awful close to it. But other than that, yeah, it, it, it feels like, you know, they'll be down six to three and they'll get, you know, they'll score a run and have the bases loaded and, and bets will come up uh, and, and, you know, ground out or some, some variance on that. And uh, whereas last year he would have hit one into the corner and, and they would have won. It, it definitely doesn't have that 2018 feeling this year. No question about it. Uh, well, we saw a, a kind of a fun, not a fun series for the Dodger fans, but it's kind of a fun baseball series over the weekend with the Dodgers versus the Yankees, two teams right now who have the two best records in baseball. The Astros are right there. Um, as someone who has covered the Red Sox, you know all of those teams very, very well as you had to deal with them quite a lot over the last couple of years. Who do you think, it, it, or it's kind of your prediction, who do you think is, is the top class of the class of, of baseball right now this year and and? Who would you predict is going to win the World Series this year? Uh, I think I'd go with Houston. I mean, yeah. their their starting pitching is 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 really impressive, and you know, in uh, I think in the playoffs, you know, we've seen the importance of of bullpens, and so that sort of points toward the Yankees. But um, I don't know, maybe I'm a little more old school in 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 this one aspect. You know, the, we saw the way the Red Sox used their rotation to improve their bullpen last year during the playoffs. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Paxton has picked it up recently for the Yankees, but I, I just have trouble looking at that rotation in New York and and seeing, you know, lots of playoff success there. It's it's kind of uh, hit or miss, and that you know, they're they're 
their offense is, is fantastic. You know, they've got some amazing hitters, um, and they've, they've come across some, some new guys this year who are having really good years. You know, you're, you're Mike Talkman, you're Gio Urshela. Um, but uh, against, you know, against playoff caliber, World Series caliber pitching, uh, I have a hard time seeing them score enough runs to overcome their, their starting rotation. Um, yeah, I, I, so I, I'd go with Houston in, in that way, but I could definitely see the Dodgers in that in that group as well. Um, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I picked Houston because uh, I've kind of felt almost exactly of you have all along. I feel like the Yankees were really – they're built very well for the regular season, and then when things slow yeah. down a little bit for them and they have to um, attack, you know, and you have – the same hitters that you can attack with a good pitching staff and a good coaching staff, you know, five, six, seven games in a row over and over and over. I wonder if the Yankees are going to get good enough at bats and along with their starting pitching. And then even for the Dodgers, I'm a big Dodger fan, but they've had some issues with their, their back of the bullpen all year. Kenley just blew another save last night. That's the seventh blown save of the season this year. That's more than he had in the last two years put together. You know, Joe Kelly's come back on strong, but he struggled to start the year. They have a lot of questions in their bullpen. To me, Houston just seems the most, well-rounded, and I have the, the I have the least amount of questions about them from their offense to their starting pitching to a, a really solid bullpen. So I, I would I would agree with you. I think I picked Houston and St. Louis as my preseason uh, World Series, and actually the Cardinals are starting to play pretty well. <laughs> that might that might have a, a shot are. to get there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for it's me, entirely I, possible. Well, you know, for me, I think uh, Houston on paper is you know uh, clearly just in terms of the names that they've got on the pitching staff side of things, and that was only enhanced after they got Grinky. But I look at it and say they, they got to get there first. Mm-hmm. And, sure. you know, if, if the Yankees are really, really hot, they can, you know, out-homer, outscore uh, anybody. And the Dodgers are more likely to get to the World Series than any single team in the American League. Right, so yeah. the easiest yep. path is going to be in the National League for yeah, the Dodgers, in my opinion. So for me, I would have to take the Dodgers on that basis alone. Plus, when you look at it, the Dodgers, outside of uh, you know the the bullpen issues that Gino was just mentioning, they really are super well rounded. And they might know? have to do what Boston did last year, and then and move a starter or two, and just use their starting pitching depth to help that bullpen. And you know what, if Kenley's struggling or or some of their bullpen guys are struggling. They just have to make that decision really early on and say, you know what, we're using Urias, Maeda, we're bringing May and some of these young guys in, and we're going to bring them out of the bullpen, and we're not going to go with these struggling relievers. That's a good point. So I'll tell you what. See, you know, oh, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say that one one interesting thing to look out for is when, if and when John Carlo comes back, you know, there's a very big danger there in that. If John Carlos starts off, you know, striking out 13 out of his 15 or 16 at bats, things like that, when your supposed leader on the offense comes back, that can be um, infectious in a bad way. And that could put them into a tailspin and into a slump. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think it'll be very interesting to see what they do with John Carlo and how that affects the rest of the lineup and put whether it puts them in or out of sync. That that's what I'll say about the Yankees. I know we're up against it with uh, with a commercial here, uh, Matt. If you can um, let our listeners know, know how they could find you, uh, social media wise, and where they could listen to the show, and if 
the Red Sox do make the playoffs, we'll definitely get to bring you back on to uh, celebrate and uh, talk about this a little bit further. That'll be fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MaddieMaddie2000. I tweet about the podcast there. Uh, it's called Red Sox Coast to Coast. Um, it's, you know, an hour a week of, uh, you know, in the weeds Red Sox talk. So um, check it out. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on, on other podcast places as well. So um, thanks uh, for having me on, guys. I do appreciate it. Matthew, thank you. As always, appreciate it. Gino, let's take our last commercial break of the day, and we'll come back, resume the conversation, and talk a little NFL as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to mike at the mike show.com now back to this week's program big thanks to both of our baseball guests today talking about the uh, the a's and the red sox isn't it amazing if we would have if i would have told you before the season started that we were talking to those two guests, we would have completely guessed they would have been in opposite spots, the teams they were covering, right? We would have never expected that the Red Sox were not in the playoff mix and and they were five games out of it and that the A's were in the playoff mix. I know you were higher on the A's, but just those two teams in particular, you absolutely would have figured, yeah, maybe the A's are trying to make one late run to, to get a wild card, and and the Red Sox are, are in the mix. They're not as good as the Yankees this regular season, but they're still there. It is just amazing that that uh, those, those, those two teams have been flip-flopped. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, when, when I sit back and think about it, you know, we're about to approach September. And the Red Sox are 10 games above 500, and they're five games out of the second wild card spot. And let's think back over the years at how many times a team has gone into September and wiped away five games. It happens. Sure. It happens probably every other year a lot. where you see something like that. You've seen division leaders um, cave and crumble with bigger sure. leads than that. Tons of times. Um, I think a lot of the sentiment, though, is based on exactly what you're just alluding to, which is we didn't expect them to have to make up five games mm-hmm. 
just to get into the playoffs. You'd maybe think, okay, you need five games maybe to win the division because the Yankees went on a run, but the Red Sox are like 10 games ahead of any other team for the wild card, so they're totally safe. You wouldn't you made, think that they'd be on the outside looking in in August. And you made a good point, too. They're, they're, this is not a team that is like a game over 500. They're 10 games over 500, which means they're chasing some other really good teams. Some other teams that are less likely to just kind of crater and falter down the stretch. And if if Boston were to get in, nobody would want to play them, no matter what. They would they would be like playing with house money. Nobody would want to play them. But if they had one team to catch, I would like their chances a lot more. But that's the problem, too, is that they're behind multiple teams. Yeah, that's always what makes it tough. Now... You know, just being on the basis that it's a division team, they're going to have their opportunity to leapfrog Tampa. And that, that's the one cool thing about baseball is that you get into September, you get into these division games, division, division matchups. Mm-hmm. So you control your own destiny when it you comes do. to that. So, you know, I'm going to assume that either Cleveland or Oakland is, is going to get in. So I guess what yeah. I'm trying to say is I, I think that they, the Red Sox need to leapfrog two teams and not three. Because there are two wild card spots, right? And so, that's that. You know, is that doable? Sure, sure. Uh, but like you mentioned, I mean, they're all they're all really solid teams, you know. And um, yeah, they're they're just going to have to go on a really really good run. And and they've been on a pretty decent run, by the way. Um, if 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 you haven't noticed, there there was a point where they're really really slumping a short time ago, and I think they were maybe like four games above five hundred. So now, and you know, now they've they've stretched that above 500 mark to 10 games, and it seems like they're kind of hitting their stride a little bit. And they do get David Price coming off the DL or IL, and that it's should help out quite a bit. So quietly, because it's like there's a little. It's almost like they're they're to the point where there's no pressure because you just have to go out and win now. You know, it's like there's just there's nothing you can do about it anymore. And maybe you that's have, exactly you can't really what they worry need. about it is, you know what I mean? That's, and that's kind of what happened with the Dodgers last year. It's like, you're wor- you're thinking about getting back to the world series all year, you know, and you're thinking about getting back there. And then you have to just kind of shut up and play for a little while and realize like, damn, we put ourselves in a bad spot and we better win some games. And, uh, and that might be, that might be it for them. Cause we've seen, yeah. um, the Cardinals start to, uh, to take, command in the NL Central now, a team that you and I were high on to start the year. The Cubs have started to flounder a little bit there in NL. And uh, I don't know if anybody's watching the this UCLA football game that's on right now. Just UCLA is driving to start the game. They look like they're going to go and punch it in and score a touchdown at Cincinnati right off the bat. This game's on ESPN. And they fumble. Right, right off, uh, They fumble. Oh, Just brutal start. And then you know it's going to happen since they fumble at the five. Second and goal going in at the five-yard line. And, and they're their first like drive, they're moving the ball really, really well. Like a good, nice combination of run pass and and then right down the right down the field. Since he comes and scores a touchdown, they they did get a little lucky right now though because Cincinnati came and missed a field goal that could have put them up ten nothing. And so maybe UCLA has a little bit of life left in them. But sure. it's not the greatest way to start your season when you're, no, you're on the five, not. first and goal, second and goal on the five. You're about to punch it in on the road against a an opponent on national TV, kind of a, a big game for recruiting, you know, for you and yep. for maybe getting people to come to your program. And then, oh, that would have been a, a big, big uh, way for the Bruins to start as the dogs. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, you know, just to conclude on, on the Red Sox stock. So the last thing I'll say is this, 
you look at their their September schedule. They've got the Angels. Then they got the Twins and 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 the Yankees. But then they're done with the Yankees. That'll be it. And it, some years you really want to play the team above you for the it division. Doesn't matter. This year they don't want it. No, right? it doesn't because matter. They're not going to catch the Yankees. So you got the Angels, Twins, and Yankees. Then after that they got Toronto, Philly for a two game series, the Giants, Tampa, Texas, and Baltimore. So they have the chance to win a lot of games, you know. So it'll all be about what. Cleveland does and what the A's do, because like I said, you kind of control your destiny a little bit with the four games that you do play at Tampa. And they play Tampa pretty well, especially over there this year. In fact, they're just 500 at home. They're 10 games above that we were talking about. That's all on the road. They're 10 games above on the road, which is exceptional. So, um, yeah, they they don't mind. Yeah, they they don't mind going and beating someone uh, if they if they are able to sneak in. Um, So. We, we don't talk as much of college as we do at NFL. We both kind of focus a little bit more on the NFL, but we, we have a lot of college tonight. Mike, right now, there's, there's 16 games Thursday, there's eight games Friday, and then on Saturday, there's 57 college football games to open the weekend. And then next week is when we start with the NFL. We've seen kind of the last round of, of camp and some of the preseason games, and we're seeing everything start to take shape right now. Um, what any any early season thoughts uh, as far as the NFL is concerned? Any teams that you're kind of thinking you might be a little high on this year, or you might be low on? I thought where you were going with that is asking me some uh, some college picks or oh. college. Uh, well, do you, do, you, do you have a pick or two? You, 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 you know what? I mean, if we're talking about just like the end of the year, who's going to be there? I mean, that's the one thing that um, you know I'm sure we'll agree on, which is there's not necessarily a lot of mystery when it comes to college football. You know, I kind of view it similarly as the NBA, although NBA did have a little surprise this year. But, you know, I mean, do you think anybody could really do you think anybody will be in that final game outside of Clemson and Alabama, at least one of them in that final game? Uh, I think Georgia has a shot this year. Okay, so I think Georgia would maybe have a shot to sneak in over Alabama this year. That would okay. be the one because I think Clemson is going to be really, really tough. They're now, what do you really think good. about uh, Oklahoma um, with Jalen Hurts? I think Oklahoma is going to be good. I believe they play UCLA. I think they come out here and they play UCLA early on. That that should be kind of a, a good, yep. a good game to uh, yep. to get a look at at uh, at their their new squad. Um, I I one game tonight. Uh, well, I mean, we'll see if you're listening to this live. Uh, I like Utah. Uh, the Utah BYU game. I'm actually going to play BYU. They're plus six and a half at home against Utah opening opening week for BYU. I felt like this game should have been maybe like three and a half, four, something like that, a little bit closer, BYU uh, at home. And both of these teams actually play USC coming up in the next four weeks. And Mike, the over-under for my USC Trojans this year was only set at seven. And they, they might not get to it. To start the season, they play Fresno State, and they're actually 13.5-point favorite against Fresno State. That's too much. They should not be favored by that much. And then no, they Fresno play. Fresno State usually plays them not tough. just them, but they usually play out of conference really, really very tough. tough. They play up very, very well. Then USC has to deal with Stanford. They go at BYU. They play Utah at Washington at Notre Dame. That's the start of their season. They could legitimately 
be one in five. I mean, they could lose the Stanford at BYU, Utah at Washington at Notre Dame all in a row. So you're taking a very uh, realistic approach, an objective approach to uh, this upcoming campaign. It doesn't sound like no, you're very high on them. I have no idea what to expect. You, you'll from them. be pleasantly They're, surprised if they do well. It sounds if, like if they get to eight wins, like. The at Washington and at Notre Dame games are, are going to be really, really tough. What makes it disappointing is that USC can step on the field and have more talent than every one of these teams on the field. It's just the coaching that has, has lacked in the last few years, and I don't see why that's going to change. Now, they brought in a new offensive coordinator, maybe offensively, but just overall, I don't think they have the uh, the staff to to beat good teams. And so, yeah, maybe, and I think, and I think, one thing we both can agree on is that each of you know, SC, Notre Dame, there are certain schools where they'll have you know high lines, whether it be win totals or within you know an individual game because they're Notre Dame and because they're SC. So when it's seven, what does that really tell you? Yeah, they're not you know Vegas at least from a data perspective is just not expecting much. No, not at all. And uh, I'm I'm. Not quite either, but uh, yeah, we'll play that that BYU game tonight. I'll play BYU, and and then what's great about this weekend is you know you're going to see everybody. You're going to see all the big ones um, right now. You, you know, Clemson's going to playing Thursday night, Friday night. You're going to see um, Michigan State, Wisconsin open up, and Colorado, Colorado State plays. You get all the a lot of the big ones on Saturday: Ohio State, Bama, Washington, Penn State, Stanford, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, and then Oregon versus Auburn. That's like the big game of the weekend. Auburn's a three and a half point favorite, and that's going to be a big game for the Pac-12. Can Oregon go on the road and, and and beat Auburn, and can Oregon win the big game where they have to travel? Yeah, no, that'll definitely be a good one. And, you know, you'd asked me, we started this by by your question about uh, NFL-wise surprise teams. You know, I think, um, you know, we, we plan these shows out for all our listeners that are out there. We plan these shows out, you know, really, we go with the ebbs and flow of what's kind of relevant, whether it be that week or in the news or, or whatnot. So next week being the uh, eve of the NFL season, We'll have our full predictions then. So I'm going to kind of Sounds save good. that for next sure. week, Gino. And uh, we've got some really some good NFL guests that are going to be lined up to uh, give us predictions and maybe even have uh, some point spread busters and, and that type of thing. So I'll save that for next weekend. But um, tonight, full slate of preseason games, last preseason games. Then we get a slew of cuts tomorrow. And, uh, and then uh, it'll be on to fantasy football and, and parlays. Looking forward to it, man. This is going to be fun. We're going to be having really busy shows now. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure to get those uh, iTunes uh, nice five-star ratings and reviews in also. Yep, good call there. Everyone, thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back the same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.